Hello and welcome to our third episode of this podcast, 10-Minute History, uh, where we talk about um, cool history and interesting topics and, and stories, fantastic stories that I get to tell. Today we're going to take a little different tack, and today I want to talk about just three amazing women from the early 1900s, one of which you've probably heard of, and actually two that you probably haven't, but that makes them no less amazing. And more important that we that we talk about them. So I want to introduce this first woman because uh, all three of these, they, what's really struck me was just how how energetic and just indefatigable. Just they could not be stopped. They spent their whole lives just almost in never ending action trying to make things better for other people, and uh, and are largely forgotten today. And so it's important that we highlight them, and also. Just as an overview, it's important that we talk about, you know, the very fact that in this history and in our history books and classes where it's male dominated and white dominated most of the time, where that's pretty much all you ever study or memorize or hear about, is what did white men do during this time? When in fact, going deep back into the country, all the way back to the Constitutional Convention, Women played a key role in shaping this country and many times were the only conscience that existed for national action in our national society. And so the history books don't contain nearly enough focus on half the population in our history and the achievements that they had. So we're going to fix one small corner of that today. And I'm going to start by talking about a woman named Jane Addams. Now, this is the one you've probably heard of before. Um, Jane Addams is well known. Uh, she's most famous because she did a lot of work with, with immigrants. And she was active at a time period when there was waves of immigrants coming over uh, from Europe, mostly Southern and Eastern Europe, uh, coming through Ellis Island in New York and, and, and flooding our major cities. She did a lot of work to help them adjust to life in America. Uh, we're going to talk about that part in a minute. But there's another element to Jane Addams that people have never heard of before. She said something that really resonated with me. Jane Addams said, the cure for the ills of democracy is more democracy. The cure for the ills of democracy is more democracy. More people to participate, more people with rights and protections gives us a better democracy. The example of someone being the conscience. So she worked on women's suffrage, and she doesn't usually get much credit for that. Susan B. Anthony gets the limelight. But Jane Addams was very involved in that as well. She thought it was key she thought that women, if they participated, could help us avoid major mistakes. She was a dedicated activist to world peace. Okay? She, she was against World War I, and she took a lot of criticism for that. She just said, no, I will not send people off to a war, and I don't think it's a just war. And she stood up, she took the criticism, and just said, no, I am dedicated to this notion. She said, true peace is not merely the absence of war, it's the presence of justice. So a great mind. She did do work with, with immigrants, and she established something called settlement houses all the way across the north. And in these settlement houses, she offered access to English education. She offered daycare. She offered safe apartments to live in for families at low rent. Um, and she established more than 30 of these across northern cities, the most famous of which was Hull House in Chicago. And Hull House, believe it or not, was fully functioning as a settlement house all the way up until about 10 years ago when it finally went broke. 
She had just a huge impact. She wrote a book called The Newer Ideals for Peace. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1931 for all of these efforts. And she co-founded the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. One of my favorite quotes for her, and one that really motivates me, especially in my nonprofit work, she said, Action, indeed, is the sole medium of expression for ethics. Action, indeed, is the sole medium of expression for ethics. All of the women I'm talking about today had that, not motto, but that mindset for how they approached. And that leads me to my second amazing woman. And that's a woman named Jeanette Rankin. Most Americans don't know her name, but Jeanette Rankin was the very first woman ever elected to Congress. She was elected for one term in 1916 in the state of Montana, of all places. But we have a personal connection to Jeanette Rankin here in Washington that most people don't know about. She started as a social worker. She went to the College of Philanthropy in New York. She studied how to be a social worker and actually took a job doing that work in Spokane, Washington. After that, she went to the University of Washington, studied some more, and in our state, in Washington state, in November of 1910, she was instrumental in getting the constitutional amendment added to the Washington state constitution that allowed women to vote. Washington was only the fifth state to do that, and Jeanette Rankin was a key reason why that happened here. Now, she's, she's a pacifist as well, just like Jane Addams. She, she didn't believe in war for any reason. Um, she is the only member of Congress, not just the first female elected to Congress, but the only, uh, only member of Congress to vote against both World War I and World War II. She serves one term, 1917 to 19, another term, 1941 to 43, just as America is about to enter both of those wars. And she voted no both times. Uh, she took a lot of criticism for that. And there were others that voted against World War I. She had a little bit of company, but she got singled out. She got singled out. So you're the first woman, and now you're not defending your country. How unpatriotic, blah, 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 blah. And she stood by her gun. She just stood up and said, I wish to stand for my country, but I cannot vote for war. Um, she also just felt like she pointed out the sexism of the time as well. She said, as a woman, I can't go to war. You're not going to send me. As a woman, I can't go to war, and I refuse to send anyone else to fight in my place. Just as straight as can be. So you look back at, at people that had conviction. You know, it, it's even more stark today where you see people that had principle that they refused to deviate from, even when it got difficult. Now, she had another opportunity, of course. Along comes World War II later on, and... She voted no on that as well. And she was the only one in both the House and Senate that voted no. The whole House just started hissing when she voted no. And one of her quotes was just the same. She's justifying why she voted no twice. In the first war, she said, I felt the first time the first woman had a chance to say no to war that she should say it. The first time the first woman had the chance to say no to war, she should say it. Well, uh, she did more than just suffrage, and she did more than just pacifism. Uh, she got an eight-hour workday for miners in Montana, um, which had never been done before. The definition of a full-time job was framing during this time. Uh, she led a lot of efforts against child labor, um, which was still a huge problem in the early 1900s. 
and she guaranteed that benefits for for widowed women and for children got added into Social Security in 1935. So it wasn't just when she was in Congress or when there was a war that she decided to stand up. She's one of those women that just dedicated her, her whole life to this kind of work. And uh, there were dozens of them. I'm only highlighting a few today. The last one, and definitely not the least, I want to talk about Mary McLeod Bethune. This woman, my gosh. So she was born to parents who had been slaves. African-American woman. Born to former slaves. And became college educated. That alone... Just that idea that my parents had been slaves at one time, but I am a college graduate. And in the 1800s, just what a monstrous achievement that alone is. But of course, that's not where she's going to leave it. She was extremely active in suffrage as well. Uh, She was a charter member of the Florida chapter of the National Association of Colored Women in 1896. She she took extreme efforts to try to get black men and women in Florida to be able to excuse me, to be able to vote and to get registered, despite all the obstacles Florida had thrown in their way. She was personally, physically threatened by the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, this woman had just been through it, and yet still just stood by it, stared right into the teeth of it and kept going. But she goes further. She wanted to make sure other African Americans and other women could have an education like she did. So she started a college. I mean, of course, right? Because, you know, how, how easy is that? You just started a college. No, no, no. She took it further. She started a college. I'm not making this up. With a dollar fifty and five students. A dollar fifty. Just said, I'm starting a college. What's stopping me? I have education. I can teach others. We're doing this. Today, that school still exists. Today, it's called Beth, Bethune Cookman College. It's in Florida. It still exists. Right, The number of people that have come through there and gotten an education, thanks to the efforts of this woman. Oh man, it goes further. Later in the 1930s, during the New Deal, Mary McLeod Bethune uh, was a personal friend of Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt even referred to her as my closest friend in my age group. They were just like best pals. They understood each other. And she lobbied really intensively to make sure the New Deal included hiring minorities for their job programs. In just the National Youth Administration alone, she made sure that 300,000 African Americans got hired. This is even even more impactful, or at least I, I think it's just a cool story. She made sure that in what was called the National Pilot Training Program, that was happening at colleges, uh, aviation was still relatively new. She made sure African-Americans could be trained as pilots despite segregation. So in the late 1930s, African-Americans were, be, were learning how to be civilian pilots. And guess what? World War II happens, and a number of those pilots that had been trained by her ended up being part of the Tuskegee Airmen. Okay, the famous squadron of African-American fighters that with their P-51 Mustangs had a stellar record against the Germans in Europe during World War II. This, this woman, right? There's just what she was able to do during this time. All of these women. And I, I'm going to leave you with a quote by Mary McLeod Bethune as well because it, it just sticks with me. And it's relevant. She said, If our people are to fight their way up out of bondage, We must arm them with the sword and shield of pride. Belief in themselves and their possibilities. 
based upon a sure knowledge of the achievements of the past. If our people are to fight their way up out of bondage, we must arm them with the sword and shield of pride. Three amazing women. Thank you for joining me for this podcast today, and uh, we'll talk again soon.